Welcome to Annasbrook Church. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Graham Hislop, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annasbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Great to be in church today. We're going to carry on a series. If we have not met, my name's Graham. It is a great pleasure to uh, spend time with you. Hopefully we can meet. Um, if you're looking for a new church, a church to be part of, you're shifting into region, um, man, we'd love to be able to help you connect, be able to find somewhere that you can grow in your faith, feel like you can belong. I just want to say happy birthday to Jeff Lepper and also congratulations to him and Brittany who are having another baby. That's very, very exciting. Really excited. And it just really inspires Rebecca and I to not have any more babies. So, fantastic. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, faith, if you hear it talked about in this sermon today, just means trusting belief, believing and trusting. We've been justified by believing and trusting. Well, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith. What? Into this grace. By now which we stand. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Just invoking a picture in our minds of why someone would be willing to die. Why would someone would be willing to give up their life? But God, He demonstrated such love for us in this way that we weren't good or righteous. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So hardly anyone's willing to die for a really good person. It's a big call, but we weren't even good. We weren't even righteous. And yet Christ demonstrated how much He loved us. Verse 17, For if by the trespass of one man, that refers to Adam, the first Adam, death reigned through that one man. That's a little key to some of you today, wondering how the world works, why it works, some of the ways it works, why you feel some of the things you feel, why you feel the pull one way or the other. It's because of this concept, death reigning. Death reigns, okay? If by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned, it wasn't always like that. Death and sickness and destruction and, you know, things that tear us apart were not part of the world. What, a, what an imagination that is. To consider. Well, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? A contrary picture to what was painted, death reigning. There's life reigning. Okay. To receive the abundant provision of grace and a gift of righteousness, how much more? Not just a little bit. You're just kind of scraped by. How much more will you reign in life through the one man, a new Adam, it's referred to as the second Adam in the Scriptures. He reset everything at the cross. Jesus Christ. I want to talk about how grace changes us. One amen, that's fantastic. Everyone, no one needs changing. No one needs rearranging. Everyone's pretty content. Very good. I've come to the wrong church. When we embarked on a three-year journey of following Jesus, we're in year two of it, First, following Jesus, um, 2022, 2023, it was about becoming disciples. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, come and be my disciples. 
Not just, let me get you into a heaven one day and scrape through, but come and live a different kind of life, a different kind of way. Experience a life that only I can give you. We've defined that disciples are people who want to be with Jesus. Jared talked about it two Sundays ago. People who want to be like Jesus. Paul wrote that it was his great joy to actually help, he said, like birthing pains. He was there to help the people of that time actually become born into the image of Christ, so to become like Jesus. So there's a point of change in our lives. And thirdly, do what Jesus did. So be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And I'm thinking, good luck. Like I'm the only one thinking that. It's like, phew, I'm trying. I'm trying. That scripture that I just read out of Romans 5 doesn't use the word trying. Uses the word reigning. Doesn't say that I'm going to try to live life. Says I'm going to reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. It's not what you hear a lot of believers experiencing. Are we missing something? Well, I'm going to talk about what we might be missing so that we can do something more than scrape into heaven when we die, but we can actually learn how to reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Despite growing up in a Christian family and despite going to church 20 time, two, 22 times a week, which was about what we were doing in our younger years, despite being exceptionally good looking. Why are you laughing? I, uh, I was being honest. Talented and very humble. <clears throat> I could not have described what grace was. Until um, <clears throat> 27, 28, there was no foundation in me on that issue. No foundation. If you're taking notes today, that would be a key thing to write down. What foundation concerning the truth of God's work is in me? Yep, <clears throat> I knew about the prayer at dinner time. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Repeat it. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food. One more time because you need convincing. You're looking at the table and you're not sure. Thank you, Lord, for giving us food right where we are. Amen. And then if you felt spiritual that week, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But, you know, sometimes we just need to clip it short and just do the first one. <clears throat> so I knew about grace, that grace. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, I'd also picked up a belief or an idea that grace was sort of a last resort for particularly bad sinners. Just being honest, I'm, I'm just telling you what I believed. So if you sinned super bad, there would be grace. But that was it. That was honestly it. So fast forward to mid-spring, about now, or a little bit later, another month or so, 2008. Rebecca and I are shifting back to Nelson after spending a year and a half in Wellington. We were working for a church there who had invited us to minister. We'd left here as youth pastors, worship pastors, doing a few other things, sensing God's call to step out in faith. The time in Wellington had been hugely fruitful for us. In fact, ministry point of view, it was extraordinarily fruitful. But I was not feeling it. In fact, after about the 11-month mark, I started to get a real unsettledness in my spirit. And I kind of sat on it for a while, but it wouldn't move. I couldn't shake it. So then I had to admit and tell Rebecca, hey, I'm not, I've got a problem, big problem. 
Can't put my finger on it. I don't know if we're meant to be here. Now they, who we were working for, tried to talk us around, like quite a lot. But to no avail, I really felt like, for whatever reason, it just was not right in here in my spirit. So we said goodbye. We made a plan to shift back here for a bit and we we're gonna work out what we we're gonna do. And we didn't have jobs. We, we had, had four kids and we just decided we, we needed to. So we shifted and we came back to a rental and a property, just renting a house while trying to suss out what on earth we're gonna do. Now, because I didn't know what was going on, I still didn't know at that point of saying, I just knew I shouldn't, needed, I didn't, shouldn't have stayed there, wasn't meant to stay there. I began to battle with feelings of incredible failure. I felt like I'd failed, not morally, but in terms of whether I'd miss God's call. It's quite a serious thing to miss God's call if you're towing your wife and your kids you know, behind you. And not only that, but I loved serving God. I loved ministering. I felt called to it. But now i got nothing. I don't even have a job. I think at that time I was like, if I could, I said to Rebecca, maybe I could go and be a laborer for my brother who was a builder. And she said, he'd never hire you. <laughs> um, I think she said it nicer than that. He'd never hire you. And uh, then I thought, well, I could pump gas. Like this is literally how low I was. So as I was leaving the church we were working for in Wellington from the staff area, I saw a book on the shelf there as we were about to move. And it was a book, which was this book. And I knew nothing about the contents at all. I just felt to grab it. Remember, I'm feeling pretty low, pretty despondent. Um, You'll be happy to know I did actually replace the book on the shelf, just in case you thought I was giving myself a parting gift. And I began to read it. And again, I had no expectation, nothing. But as I'm reading it in the spring of 2008, and I am, my, my spirit and my mind is saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I've messed up. Believing I'm never going to be in ministry again. That's how I really believed it. I began to read these words. God wants us to stop trying to achieve and to beginning and begin to receive the favour, the blessing and healing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. When He hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, He cried out with a loud voice, It is finished! And everything that you and I require to reign in life was accomplished there at Calvary on our behalf. That is why we call what Jesus did on the cross His finished work. He finished it. He completed it. Stop doing and adding to what is already done. Stop doing and starting to and start instead to receive what Christ has done. Hebrews chapter 10 says, but this man, speaking of Jesus, after he'd offered his life as one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God for the one offering, Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He has perfected forever us who have been saved. His finished work on the cross was offered as one sacrifice forever. And when you received Jesus Christ into your life, you were perfected forever. And how long is forever? Forever means forever. And you have been perfected by Jesus' cleansing blood, 
not by the blood of animal sacrifices like in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, which could never take away sins. You may be surprised to find out there are many believers today who do not believe they've been perfected forever by the finished work of Jesus Christ. They are still depending on their self-efforts, still trying to qualify themselves. What on earth am I reading? What on earth? I, I could not believe. I, I had been a pastor. I'd been a youth pastor. I'd been in ministry. I'd been a worship pastor. I'd been in ministry for like five plus years at this point, six years. I'd been fruitful in ministry. And I had never, ever, ever heard that message. What I'd heard is that God would forgive your sins. So I knew that, and that is true. And I'd ask Him often to forgive my sins. But I never had foundation to be confident of what happened once He'd forgiven my sins. And I never had the confidence, foundation to know He had already forgiven my sins. And I never had the confidence. And why does that matter? Because when you're not confident in your identity, everything's affected. Everything. So I was insecure as a Christian. I was battered by that wind or that thing. And when the biggest storm at that time of my life came up, which was I failed in discerning God's call, I was being battered, a big storm. There was nothing anchoring me in Christ's finished work identity. So the sun's streaming in as I'm reading it. My heart begins to beat with the most extraordinary joy. And it starts to fill my heart, my hungry and hurting heart. And I heard the Lord whisper, Graham, I love you. I forgave you already. Can't you see what I've already done for you? Get up, go forward. I love you. I'm proud of you. You are my son. I'm so glad it happened when I wasn't in ministry because it's so easy for us, even in ministry, to try to achieve and earn when what's left to earn? He got all the brownie points on the cross, people. It's finished. It's finished so your reigning in life can begin. Thank you, Lord. People say people can't change. I beg to differ. They might not be able to change if you're trying to do it by willpower and by striving and under religious guise, maybe not. But what changed me, I, I changed how I saw God. I changed how I saw myself. I changed how I saw others. I cha what changed was how I saw the Bible and I changed how I saw Jesus. And uh, thank you, Lord, for giving me food, all right? My gosh, grace was alive in my life. And today, um, if I feel like life is controlling me, if I, if I react in a way that isn't right, if I sin, I've got a foundation. I'm going to talk, I want to talk about a foundation. You need a foundation to reign in life. You need it, like it needs to be in there. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of Adam, one man, Death reigned throughout this one man. How much more will those who receive? These are two things here, and we're going to bring them on the screen. God's abundant provision of grace. It's not just grace. <laughs> it's abundant provision. 
It's paid in. It's actually laid into the payment schedule already, grace, and the gift of righteousness. How much will those people who have received those two things reign in life? These are real things. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the Bible. The word grace here actually literally means undeserved favor. Okay, now, a lot of people think grace um, is earning. So they've done enough to please God. They've prayed enough. They've read enough of the Bible. They've not done bad stuff. Jesus told a story about a man like that who, who looked at a man over in a corner saying, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that person. The whole foundation of his life was built on a system of comparison and a system of judgment. But then Jesus says, but the man over there who he's comparing himself to is crying, beating his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus asked the question, who of the two do you think is accepted? The answer is the one who needs God's mercy and grace. But it's assumed they're fully accepted. And, And, you know, Today, even today, I know that God's favour, undeserved favour, what does it mean? You must not be deserving it. So to get grace, you can't deserve it. Don't think that's really hit. No one said anything. Okay, let me think of it this way. You must not deserve it. As in you really don't deserve it. God, I need healing. God, I need a breakthrough. God, I need, what? Do you think God's going to give you salvation by grace, but he's going to heal you and help you by your own works? It's one, it's one system, people. So then you say, I need your help, God, because I'm like, I need this. And, you, and then you think, oh, shivers, your mind comes up with a reason of why God might not answer your prayer. Or if your mind's that overactive like it was in my life, you won't even ask because your mind has already beat you to it. There was a lot of our, my Christian upbringing. I've, Jamie Gaskell's here in the room. He's part of our eldership and him and I have compared notes. A very overactive conscience. The fact that I caught him, you know, when he was 15 drinking Jim Beam in his mum's lounge is probably, you know, it's probably on your list. Anyway, he's on the bench at the moment, so it's all good. <laughs> that was a great moment, eh? We were at youth and I was like, Where's Jamie? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to jump in the car, go for a drive. And I walk in and the curtain, his mum's out and the curtains are drawn. And there he is with another person just sipping it. And I go, g'day boys. <laughs> so, anyway, this isn't about Jamie. <laughs> not, not in my notes. Anyway, Lord forgives you today. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> it's just a great moment. It's just a great moment. So, so then... Okay, so I need this healing, I need this help, I need God to turn up in my life. And so the foundation is generally how your work is a merit system. Okay, well, I can ask because I've been a good person. I can ask because I've, you know, I'm a Christian. No, you don't deserve God's favour. But that's what makes it grace. So you get grace as long as you don't deserve it. Otherwise, it's called wages. Otherwise, it's called you paid for it. So the only way for you to get grace and me get grace is if you're undeserving. Of course, the world doesn't like sermons like this because the world has told everyone you're enough and you're a good person and you're and it's like, dude, like 
okay, if we're measuring ourselves by Ted Bundy or some, you know, if we're measuring ourselves by the worst of them, then sure, sure. But we're not, Adam was not measured by Adam. Adam was actually measured by Christ. Holiness. And so holy God can go, guys, you've really missed it. So, but what he did was this. He actually began to put in place some things. Now, I want to state this. I want to state that I knew in my conscience when things were wrong and when I'd sinned. How did I know? Because I'd grown up listening to the Ten Commandments. Do not steal, do not kill, do not drink a Jim Beam on a Wednesday night when you should be a youth. Do not, <laughs> do not commit adultery. I really apologise. I really do. Um, it, ca- it just came out of nowhere. And your mum's sitting right behind you. And so, Ginny, I apologise to you as well. And your, bro- and your brother's over there. I'm sorry, Ashley. I apologise to you. Okay. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> if anyone's going to write a letter and say, I'm not sure Jamie should be on the board. Um, it's too late. Okay, so watch this now, okay? The Ten Commandments, known as the Law of Moses, John makes it really clear what was going on. And John chapter 1 and verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God gave Moses the law to give to people for a particular purpose. What is the purpose? Galatians 3 says that before this faith in Christ, we've been held in custody, verse 23, under the law. So the law, verse 24 of Galatians 3, so the law is our humanity's schoolmaster, our tutor, until Christ came that we can be justified by faith We've got the law saying, here is holiness. Here, it's known as a mirror. When you look into the mirror, a mirror, <laughs> what is looking back at you? You know, if I'm ugly, if I'm actually ugly, that mirror is just going to show me I'm ugly. If I'm, if I'm beautiful, the mirror just shows me what I am. So the law is a mirror, a schoolmaster, a tutor to show you your true condition, and to reveal God's true standard. Okay? All right. But it was given so that up until the point of faith, believing in Jesus, where you can be justified, it's that guardian, but you're no longer under a guardian called the law, Galatians 3 says, in Christ Jesus, in his finished work, you are all children of God. When a king has a son, a prince, I want you to think about how the king and the prince interact. Maybe don't think of Harry, okay, because that is not a great analogy at the moment. But imagine with me, the prince obtains everything of the kings, not by his doing, but by his being. The law states to us that we cannot be holy, be righteous, be right. But actually what begins to happen is, It brings us to the end of ourselves. Yeah, we have a standard. But now we're like, I I have, you know, in my heart. The book of James says, if we have even broken one of the laws, we have broken them all. So if I've lied, I've actually by that lying become an adulterer. In other words, I've transgressed. 
But the Bible said that we are justified, even though that is the case, by our faith in Jesus. Okay, what does justified mean? It feels like we're dealing with like the dictionary this morning. What does justified mean? It's a legal term. And the Scripture said that the law was in place to show us of our guilt. But legally, because Jesus governs over all things, He has the right and the power to declare you and I innocent when we have not been. Try to remember this for as long as you live, and especially when you die. The word justified means just as if you never sinned. The word justified is a legal term, meaning just as though you never sinned. The Bible says we have been just as though we'd never sinned by His blood. What? Again, going back to what I said at the start, I'd pray for forgiveness. Okay, I've got forgiveness. But I never felt as though I was completely different to the things that I'd done completely separated from the things that I'd done, completely holy. (laughs) The book of Colossians says that Christ Jesus has made us holy and blameless in His sight. But are we holy? No. Are we blameless? No. But He has made us to be. And it's legal. Justification, you've been justified by the work of Jesus. It's legal. In other words, the courts of heaven recognise it. This is how it is for this person. It's, and it's done. It's done. Even though we are not, Christ says, you are holy in my sight. How did you become holy? Not by doing, but by believing and receiving. And this, the, the righteousness, that second part of the verse talks about, the gift of, the, the abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is innocence. So justification is illegal just as though you'd never sinned and now righteousness is your identity. You're righteous. As in, I'm innocent and have right standing before God. So what does it say in the book of Romans that we can come boldly into His throne room of grace? We can come boldly to God. What? By His grace and just ask whatever we need. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no loops. We're just coming to Him. We're actually just like a father would with their child, just receiving. When God looks at you, He's going to see one of two things. He's either going to see that you are under law or that you are under grace. The law still remains in place, everybody. Jesus did not abolish it. He fulfilled it. And the law is there to to actually show every human being of their unholiness, their unrighteousness, and their need for such a generous, amazing, benevolent friend, Jesus. Listen to this scripture, okay? Romans chapter six and verse 14. Now this is how we begin to change. For sin shall no longer be your master, that death that reigned. Sin will no longer be a master over you. Because, here's the preface, here's the reason, you are no longer under the law. You are under grace. That's how you change. I don't understand it. Sin loses its power because the law has been fulfilled. So now this, um, what, what scripture is it? Um, it's in the Bible, but it says, <laughs> it's a good start. 
that the, the law is the power of sin. The power to sin is in the law. I'll, I'll give you an example. You see a fence. It's got a massive sign on it. It says wet paint. What do you really want to do? It says do not touch wet paint. I, I think the do not touch now is sort of provoked in you. Because what's written is like, oh, I don't know why. It's the same in the Bible. It says, God put the law in to show us of our need for Jesus, but it has a provoking factor. It provokes sin. Now, does the law cause you to sin? No, it does not. It causes your sinful nature to rise up within you to actually be revealed so that now you know, flip, I am fully short. I'm, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. So then we should reach to what? Jesus. And what does Jesus do? For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was fulfilled by Jesus. Are you with me? He put your name on it and made it legal in heaven and on earth, just as though you'd never sinned. He gave you the title and the status of righteous. You have His righteousness, meaning what? Let's go a little bit more radical. When God looks at you, He does not see you. Those of you in Christ, when God looks at you, He does not see you. He sees Jesus. He cannot see you anymore because what? You are in Christ. How did I get in Christ? By believing. What? All I did was believe. Do you know when I heard this message, when I actually heard the Gospel, I was ready to believe. I've done five years of pastoral ministry and I realised that I do a mixture. There's a lot of people in the room, I reckon you do a mixture. You do a little bit of good behaving and a little bit of good relying on God. And you feel like the combination of both is a perfect fit. But listen, God will only see you one of two ways, either under law or under grace. The only way to get under grace is to confess Jesus as Lord, is to ask Him, put me under grace, forgive all my sins, make me justified. I receive that. It says to repent and believe the good news. Jesus said that. I think a lot of people get confused with this kind of law and grace mixture. And Paul wrote to the church in Galatians, listen, this mixture is actually making you worse off than if you'd not known Christ. Because now you're relying once again. You know, the church, not this church so much, but the body of Christ for a long time has preached behaviour modification. If you told most of your neighbours about Christianity, they would expect you to tell them about not swearing as much, not drinking as much, not being a bad person as much. And therefore they'd expect that you would be inviting them into behaviour modification, to be a better person and to change. The problem is you have no power within yourself for that kind of change. The only change that can come is if sin and death are broken. How can they be broken? because you no longer are under law, but God has removed you and put you under Christ and you are under grace. You have got all the favour, all the blessing, all the access, all the status, all the rights. Second Peter says that by His divine power, this justification, this legal thing, He has given us power for life, raising family, living our lives, trying to work out how to be in the world, but not of the world, all of that stuff. Everything, wisdom for everything you need to know. How to run a business, how to be a good employee, whatever it is. He's given us the power for life and what? Godliness. 
So let me once and for all, well, maybe not for all, but we'll probably repeat it at some point. Let me state it clearly. Our role as the people of God with the Gospel is to not preach behaviour modification. It is to preach a radical and life-changing grace that is given so that you can be freed from sin, removed from being under the law, and now you're under grace. There was a dance. You're under grace. James wants to dance. You're under grace. It is finished. So it's not behaviour modification. It's heart transformation. I've got to finish. So, so how does it change us? Because I identify not as my old self. Paul said, I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. So now everything about my life is flowing in this new covenant, this grace and this righteousness. And what happens then? You know, if you struggle with porn here today, a behaviour modification message from the church would be stop it. Stop it. I don't like it. Stop it, you dirty, rotten sinner. Stop it. But a grace-filled message would be this. Hey, stop it. You righteous, clean, innocent, justified son, Prince of God. Ah, it just doesn't line up with your identity. Now, how do I change because of that? Because now I'm like, of course it doesn't. The sin that I've been engaging in is because there is a law over me saying, if I do this, if I do that, if I earned it, deserved it, God will bless me. You've got to get out of that and change will occur when you realise that Christ never leaves you, never forsakes you, and, and He calls you clean. So while you're pawning it, is that what they call it? I don't know. But while you're engaging in porn, this is what you do. Out of your mouth, out of your heart, and it could be anything else. Over shopping, could be yelling at people when, you know, road rage. My, mind you, Nelson gives a lot of reasons to have road rage. I've got to be honest. There, there is a general consensus that nobody except for me knows how to drive. That's kind of how it works. And you, of course. Um, you could be fully locked up to substance. And the more that you try to go, I shouldn't be doing it, I shouldn't be doing it, I shouldn't be doing it. You, you notice you can't break the power of it. So how does the Holy Spirit help you break the power of it? He flows in with His grace and you say, you know what? I'm not, the, this is not truly who I am. This is fulfilling a need in me that Christ fulfilled on the cross. So out of my mouth, whether it's porn or whatever it is, okay? But while you're engaged in it, you need to say this out your mouth. I am clean, I am holy, I am righteous, I have been justified by His grace. You need to say this, sin has no dominion or power over me, for I am not under law, I am under grace. I've been given, but you need a found, that's not really, I want to point at the Bible, but you need a foundation. How does the Holy Spirit help us in this? John 16 says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. What kind? It says, Jesus said, sin because you do not believe in me. You do not believe this. You do not believe there's a gift of righteousness and you're not living in it daily. You get it once every three years when we come back over the topic. You've got to be in it day out and day out. So the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. And what's sin in His mind? That you don't believe in the 
work of Christ, the finished work of Christ and the grace on your life. And of what? Righteousness. Because we have standing with God, John 16 says. So the Holy Spirit's there going, hey, Jamie, we'll use the example because I've confessed a sin for him. But Jamie, you're not that 15 year old anymore. You're not, the Holy Spirit goes, sin, believe in my provision. Believe in what I've paid for. Take it up like it's, you just receive it in your mind and in your heart and and let it change you. And then then the Holy Spirit says, and you're righteous, Jamie. He comes to convict the world of sin, righteousness. You're righteous in me. That's why the Holy Spirit will never take a sledgehammer to you. He will take the balm of God's Word, the medicine of God's Word. I know a man, he was struggling with sin. In fact, it was pretty interesting sin. But I know a man, because actually what happened was, he walked into this very church a couple of years ago, around Christmas. A woman comes up to him. He was really battling, really, really battling. Okay, I know the backstory. And, and, and it's, a, it's a tricky, messy sin. And the woman comes up to him and says, I just felt the Lord say to tell you, He loves you. He's got a plan for you. And if you just surrender, He'll sort it out. Well, the man believed him. The Holy Spirit must have been at work. You know, if the Holy Spirit is goosebumps to you, that's fine. But that's not what Jesus said. He would come to the world and give you goosebumps. You're not a turkey. Is that right? I don't really know. Is that not correct? He says, he says, he goes to the, the person who walks in, he goes, I love you. I'm pray-. Is it because God turns a blind eye to sin? No. It's because blood was poured out from Calvary to pay fully in total, full payment. And who did it? His name is Jesus. And God sees Jesus. And that man, I know that man changed. And the reason I know he changed is because I know him. And he changed not because someone said you're a bad person, you're in a bad situation. He changed because the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit's touching people right now here and online. It's an absolute mind flip, this whole thing. You're like, I did not expect to hear this in church. And, and if you're new and you're like, I don't know some of these words, whoever brought you, or if you've got a Christian friend who actually knows the Lord, you need to ask them questions about it. But what's the final thing the Holy Spirit does? Comes to convict the world, so that's a legal term, of sin because you do not believe in Christ and what He's done for you. Righteousness because you do not believe you are called righteous and you're not walking in it. And three, what? Judgment. And what's the judgment? Because He has already condemned the ruler of this world. In other words, the devil has been condemned and his demons. And so the Father's saying there, I don't want you to be caught up in this judgment of this eternal separation. I want you to be with me forever. So the Holy Spirit is here and the Holy Spirit will always, and that's probably why some of you have missed the conviction of the Holy Spirit because you've actually expected a tyrant. You've actually expected harsh treatment. You've actually expected the opposite of grace. But to you today who receive the abundant, there's more than you can than you need. Provision, it's already been paid in. Grace, it's undeserved favour. You can go to God for anything, with anything, even if you struggle, you can receive from Christ. He'll give you the victory to reign in life. I see some of you reigning over things you've been stuck under for a decade. I see some of you actually getting up and over some thinking. How do we change? Because now I identify. This is not right to get into now. 
especially because I haven't thought this through. But I do wonder with this whole identity thing going on in the world, you know, I wonder if the root cause of it is this issue, that actually we do want to re-identify, but we've never been given a actual spiritual answer. The Gospel does not go out far enough and radical enough to say, yes, re-identify, but not as in cat, but as, no offence, but Christ. That was good, Mason. Come on. I don't run around church for about 15 years. I just need a break. That's great. Let's stand to our feet, everybody. Come on. <laughs> Can somebody um, give the Lord some praise that He's a God of grace? So the thing is, right, the thing is, there's two things here. Thanks, Melissa. There's two things. The first thing is this, right? Some of us, Jesus said in Mark 1.16, repent, what does that mean? Change your mind. Some of us have got some real religion going on. We need to change our mind. And believe in the good news. Whoever in this room is willing to believe this message of grace, you actually see God do some pretty special things. And I wanna pray today. I wanna pray today that you'd know God's grace in an amazing way. See, I'm gonna pray, it's not even about you. I'm gonna pray that Jesus reveals Him. Because would you say, Jane, because you and I kind of caught this revelation at a real similar time. 07, 08, you're in London and I was in Wellington. And when you came back and I came back, we were talking about, we are just, all we could talk about was this, this abundant, like this cannot ruin this grace. People were like, oh, if you tell them this, they're gonna go out and sin and think it's fine. No, it doesn't work like that. When I worked out how precious this identity was in me, I wanted to protect it. Oh, that's what happens. You don't get people going out and just going bananas because They've not seen it. That's not what a prince would do. That's the power that sin's been with. Isn't it wonderful? But would you say too that it's, it's possible that you hear this message, you get this revelation, and then somehow you drift. You end up back in a merit system, a work system. That's why the Bible says, continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why Hebrews 13 says, it is good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace. The whole thing, guys, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And we've got to stay in the grace. We've got to say, I am righteous, Lord. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who I am. I take it on by faith. Your minds, everyone here, your mind needs to be reinforced daily. That's how you change. When your mind goes home later and you're like, what the heck, that was a lot of something. I, there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your mind needs to come back to There's grace and there's righteousness. And I'm going to reign in life. And you've got to re-identify. You are not who you think you are. You're a prince in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you today for your word. Whatever's not of you, take it away. 
thank You for people here today that You died for, that You call justified, that You see as righteous, not because of anything they've ever done or ever will be able to do, but because they live in Christ. Raise up a mighty army where faith flows to. Give people today this power. It's not anything other than what we've talked about, Lord. This power to overcome what holds them back. Let people change in the Name of Jesus more into Your image and to become more like You. I pray not for behaviour modification, but I pray because of the gift and because of Your graciousness and because of Your generosity for heart transformation. Thank You for Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will put in You a new heart and I will put in You a new spirit. And I pray today that Lord, Your grace would be received to every heart and every life. In Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. Give us a grace revolution, Lord. Just wait here for a moment. I know it's nearly, um, what do you call it, home time. Just close your eyes. Just, let's just let the Holy Spirit come and uh, rest on us. Just moving, Lord. He's breaking some things right now that have been generational. He's doing it by grace. He's doing it on your behalf. Just let him in. Just reach out to him from within your heart. Can't do it without you, Lord. Those of you today with their eyes closed, heads bowed, who have never accepted Jesus Christ as Saviour, as what I've talked about today, and as Lord. I want to tell you today, and I tell you from a place of love, that you're still under law. You're still under law that it induces and creates this power of sin and death reigns. But Jesus Christ came and said, Come to me, all you who are heavy, that's the law, two, two tablets of stone it was written on, and weary. You'll be worn out trying to fulfill it all. You can never do it. Come to me and I will give you rest. And today, just Jesus' words to you, repent. So are you willing to change your mind? Are you willing to hear what I've said and believe it? Are you willing to come to Him? What, what must I do, Graham, to be saved? Believe and receive. When you do that, the Bible's very clear. Sin no longer has power over you. For you are no longer under law, but you are under grace. I know I'm speaking to some people right now. I know I'm speaking to some people who've grown up in religious families, but you've never actually truly received grace. You've never confessed Jesus for the purpose of being justified, just as though you never sinned. You've never accepted His righteousness as your identity. And I'm just going to lead a prayer today for anyone who wants to receive Jesus Christ. For anyone here today, regardless of past, regardless of... Oh, but 
I'll do it next week. I've, I've got to get some things lined up this week and maybe make some change. No, you haven't heard a single thing I've said. Undeserved, unmerited. You must not be deserving. So come right now. Come to Jesus. All you who are heavy, all you who are earning, all you who are trying to do it on your own, and He will give you rest. Come to Jesus. He'll put a new heart in you, a new spirit in you. You'll know what change really looks like as you surrender to Him. So Lord, I pray you just move powerfully right now across this place. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Those here today who want to come to Jesus, those here today who want to rely on His grace and receive His righteousness, who actually want to surrender your life to Him. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand as high as it can go. Two things are gonna happen. One is I will acknowledge it, but the second is God will acknowledge it. He will see it. And then I'll lead everybody in a prayer and the Holy Spirit will come and seal that point of faith that you have coming to Him today for eternal life. So on the count of three, you say, I wanna come to Jesus today. I need His grace and I need to get out under that law. I need to get under grace today. I want you to lift your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Just lift it up as high as it can go for me. Yep, keep it really high for a moment. I'm just gonna acknowledge these hands today. One over here. Yep, awesome. One here, one there, three, four, five. Who else here? Six, yep, six, awesome. Yes. Who else here saying, yep, that's me. I wanna come to Jesus today. Fantastic. You can put your hands down. I'll just wait another minute just for anyone else here today. Even um, as this invitation is going out, I'm praying people are renewing, renewing their hearts towards Christ. It's all about Jesus, you know. Thank you, Lord. Okay, everyone, you can put your hands together for people just saying yes to Jesus. And let's pray. I want you to pray this. I want you to pray this just from your heart. And Jared's gonna come and we're just gonna finish today's um, service. We're gonna pray for people at the end who need healing. We receive healing by grace. We're gonna pray for people who have needs. We're gonna pray for people. We receive it by grace. We'll do it after the service today. But I want everyone who lifted their hand and everyone in the building to pray this after me. So dear Heavenly Father and God of grace, I come to you today undeserving and I've come for a special reason. Jesus said if I came, that I'd be received. I surrender today my life, my rights and wrongs, all to You. I confess today, I need You. I've sinned, I've done wrong things, but I thank You for Jesus, who has done everything right and puts it against my account. Come alive in me, put a new heart in me and a new spirit today and walk with me like my closest friend in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website 